Your congregation, let us turn in God's holy word to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. And we'll read verses 33. We'll read verses 33 through chapter 12, verse 2. Romans 11, verse 33. Let us hear God's holy word. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Amen. May God bless the reading of his precious and infallible word. Dear congregation, verse 36 of the passage that we just read from Romans chapter 11, Paul exclaims, For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. If this passage is true, and it is because it's the Word of God, and if it's true for you, what does that mean for your and my life? I think of this in conjunction with two things. The first is this. We remember some 500 years ago the Reformation on this very day. As Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the church doors in Wittenberg, we are reminded of what proceeded from the Reformation even to what we have in a wonderful reformational confessional document that we normally preach through in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 1. What is your only comfort in life and in death? And that answer has a profound effect on our life that when we, body and soul, in life and in death, belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, that ought to have a huge impact on your and my life. If we, as the Westminster, another reformational confession, confess, why are we created? Why has God made us? What is the chief end of man? To glorify and to enjoy God forever. That ought to have a profound effect 
on your and my life. Today we call ourselves a product of the Reformation. A Reformation that happened in the late 1600s and in 1700s, 500 years ago. Or sorry, the late 1500s and the late, in the 1600s, 500 years ago. And foundational to this Reformation was the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. Taking what was man-centered theology and man-centered worship and transforming it by the power of His grace to a God-centered theology, a God-centered worship, leading to the glory of God alone. Which is really the crowning praise of the whole Reformation. That all of life is to be lived to the glory of God alone. And this needs to be modeled very clearly in our life, but it's really modeled for us in Paul's epistle to the Romans, which we just read from Romans 11, verse 36. For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things to whom be glory forever. Let's look at this crowning sola of the Reformation, sola Deo Gloria, which was really a man-centered theology to a God-centered theology which resulted in glory to God alone. First of all, then, a man-centered theology. How does that pattern? Reformation, but also in Romans. In the book of Romans, Paul is writing to the Romans, and, and we recognize that he builds on this in Romans chapter 1, that, that Scripture alone needs to be the rock. It's the power of God. It's the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation that we need to stand on. And when we ever we turn away from the very Word of God, we become fools and we exchange the truth of God for a lie. And we worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. And this was a huge problem also in the Reformation. It had turned away from Scripture alone to focus on man's wisdom because God now gives His Word, extra Word, other than the Word of God to popes and you need priests and and all kinds of images to be able to understand and interpret the Word of God. The Word of God is no longer sufficient for salvation. It is no longer clear enough for salvation. It is no longer authoritative for salvation. And therefore, it is no longer necessary for salvation and life. And it's Satan's way of coming in and saying, Has God really said? But is that any different in our day? Where we find a man-centered theology that we need to undermine parts of the Word of God which discredits the whole of God's Word so that we can live our lives and worship God as we want to worship Him. Isn't that evident in our society today? And maybe even in our own hearts? Do we not also need true reformation and a continued reformation? A reform to always be reforming back to the foundation of the Reformation, which is the Word of God? Have we not bought into man-centered 
theology? What about how Paul goes on and even the Reformation? That maybe we aren't quite as bad as what we are told we are in the Bible. We really didn't all sin and aren't all so terribly bad and come short of the glory of God. And, and yet, Paul brings that out in Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 3. There is none that do good. No, not one. And there's no salvation found in man because we would mess it up completely. And so it's by faith alone. It's not because of circumcision. It's not because of our father Abraham or our nationality. But by faith alone. It's not by belonging to the church and to be a member of the church, which is important, but it's by faith alone. How many things would we like to add to our salvation? Humans always want to do that. Rather than a simple surrendering all to King Jesus. And believing in Him. And trusting in Him. And being connected to Him. It's by faith alone. It's through faith alone. It's through that connection to the Lord Jesus Christ. And all that He has done. Because it's also in Christ alone. I was on to labor about that in, in Romans chapter 5. That He becomes the second Adam. The one who represents us. And there's no salvation in Adam. There's no salvation in, in Abraham. There's no salvation, as the Roman Catholics would, would have said, in Mary or or saints, or angels, or any such like that might be mediators between God and man. No, it is Christ alone. That's a man-centered theology to have a, a mediator, a Savior, and anyone other than Christ alone. And he emphasizes throughout Romans 3 and 4 and, and chapter 5 and, and 6 as well and goes on that it's all by grace alone, undeserved, unmerited grace and favor of God. It's not by our works. It's not by what we do. It's not by our penance. It's not by our good attendance at the sacraments. It's not by our good church attendance. It's not by any kind of indulgences we might have to pay. It's not because of our experiences. It's by grace alone. And grace alone. is what motivates us to live a life to the glory of God alone. The rest of Romans sets before us the impact on our life, the impact on our worship, of walking in the Spirit, in the joy of the Lord, knowing the grace of His election, the gift of faith, the power of the preaching of the Gospel, the very Word of God. And Paul, he understands all of these things and he's articulating all of these things and he comes through this great transformation. And he breaks forth in doxology. And he says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge 
of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, his ways past finding out. Why? For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever and ever. These truths, God-centered truths rather than man-centered truths, totally transformed him to say all glory belongs to God. Sola Deo Gloria. What does it mean then to have this God-centered theology? Why do all of these things bring glory to God alone? Well, really, it's because God is all glorious alone. There's no one or nothing that can give God any more glory than what He already has. He has what we call as theologians an intrinsic glory. It's, It's a glory that He has within Himself. It's really the sum of all of the divine attributes that God has shown us over the past months a sum of all of His perfections which results in sola deo gloria, His intrinsic glory. The glory He has within Himself as we sang from Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is Your name in all the earth. You have set Your glory above the heavens. It's a glorious name. He's a glorious God. He's full of glory. And that's what Paul is saying here in Romans 11, verse 36. Because it's for of Him and through Him and to Him are all things to whom be glory forever. In other words, Paul is saying, this God who was from the beginning, from eternity, and to eternity is full of glory because He is the source of everything. He's the source of everything. It's of Him. And it's through Him. He's the means of everything. And it's to Him. He's the end goal of everything. There's nothing that's outside of God being the source, the means, and the goal. It's the glory of, really foundational here, is His creation and the very fact that He upholds His creation. It's of Him. He's the source of His creation. All things were created by Him. By His very power and for His glory. He is the one who is the I am from all eternity. He is the one in time who has created everything in six 24-hour days. And He is the one who receives glory from it all. It's a witness of His glory. And as He has created it, He becomes that means of creation through His very Word, through the Lord Jesus Christ. He's created everything out of nothing. And it's all to the goal to glorify Him. And that we might enjoy it and be glorified in Him with it. 
this reason and the end for which all things were created is to promote His honor and glory. It's not to make God more glorious because He's full of glory already before creation. It's not to make God more happy because He is happy in Himself, eternally happy within Himself, infinitely happy within Himself. It's not to do anything to add to God, but it's to honor and praise God for who He is. It's His glory. How much different do you think that is? Um, Believing in the theory of evolution. That everything just kind of evolved and has a power within itself and yet dies and fades away with no goal at all. No ultimate reason for existence. Nothing. Emptiness. God has created and upholds all things because He is worthy of honor and praise and glory. Now we recognize that we have fallen into sin, come short of His glory, as Paul says. And, and, and really what he's breaking forth here in, in doxology is not because of God's creation. He's breaking forth in doxology because of the glorious gospel of God and the grace of God that through faith in Jesus Christ, sinners can be saved to the glory of God alone. Because salvation is of Him. He has planned it all from eternity past. It's not some kind of priest. It's not the Pope. It's not any other kind of a religious guru of any sort, but it's God Himself who has planned a way of salvation for His people. It's of Him. And it's accomplished through Him. Through what Jesus Christ has done. It's not something we have done. It's not something our parents can do for us. It's not something our pastor can do for us. It's not something the Pope can do for us. It's Not something even an angel can do for us. There is no one who could have saved us but Jesus. We can add nothing to salvation because Jesus has done it all. He paid the price of sin on the cross. He merits eternal life through His perfect obedience. And He sends forth His Spirit to apply that salvation in our lives as He calls us to faith and repentance and gives us repentance and gives us faith. And He gives us a particular time when we, when we trust in Him and believe in Him and we seek to live now outside of the Lord Jesus, out of the Lord Jesus Christ. To live out of His life by His Spirit to fight against sin, and to live to His glory. It's all the work of God from beginning to end. It's of Him, and it's through Him, and it is to His glory. God is full of glory within Himself, in His work, and that glory ought to produce in us a praise and a worship of God. As we don't add to His glory, but what we do is we ascribe to Him glory. We 
testify of his glory. We praise him for his glory. We live to his glory. That's a God-centered theology. And it results in a life that is lived to the glory of God alone. As we ascribe to him glory. I think here of how Paul writes this, for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory, who you should ascribe glory, give glory forever. Amen. And immediately after that, Paul has this therefore statement. And therefore, always, you should always think, why is it therefore? I beseech you, therefore, because of what God has done, what, because of what Jesus Christ has done, therefore, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's how we ascribe to Him glory. It's through, his, through a life that's transformed by His power and by His grace and through faith in the only Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, to now live according to His Word and to have His Word transform our minds and conform us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 29. Give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give Him the glory due to His name. Worship Him in the beauty of holiness. God who receives this glory. And God alone. It's not God plus anything else. It's not God plus the glory of an angel as we heard this morning. It's not God plus the glory of a great man or a great consular or good material or anything else. It's God alone who deserves glory. He says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and I will not give my glory to any other. I will not give my praise to any other carven images or anything else. It's to Him be glory alone. From beginning to end, Him alone. It's not, I need to glorify myself and feel good about myself and and, and ascribe to myself some honor and then I'll give the rest to God. No, not at all. It's God first and God last. It's as the psalmist says in Psalm 115, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto Your name be glory. Because of Your mercy, because of Your truth, because of who You are and what You have done. He receives the glory. He receives the glory in our salvation. As we glorify God for all of His salvation, for all of His redeeming work, all that Jesus Christ has done is perfectly suitable for a sinner like me. And I can receive it by faith and I can know it by grace and live it to His glory. 
do you think that anything in salvation could have been earned by you? Could have you paid the full price that sin requires at the judgment seat of God? Could you have borne the full wrath of God against sin? Could have you earned righteousness before God so you could go to heaven? Could have anyone else done that but Jesus Christ? It's to glory to God alone for His salvation. We praise Him. Would I have these desires within myself to serve God, to believe in Him, to pray to Him, to live for Him? Would I want to read His Word and get to know Him better? No, it's all because God is working in me. Do I have a desire to worship God? No, it's all God working in me. And so I praise God. I glorify Him for His salvation. I give God glory in all of my life. Hold on, Pastor. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I went with you so far. You are so right. Salvation is all from God. Faith, grace, Christ, His Word. I agree with you all. Agree with you 100%. But stay out of the other six days of my life. Stay out of the rest of my life. I I fully agree with you when it comes to salvation. God gets the glory alone and I have to live to His glory alone in that salvation. That's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God says, for of Him and through Him are all things. Not just Sunday. Not just church attendance. Not just your salvation. All things, all things, our whole life, our bodies, our life, and everything in it is God's. God has stamped His name on absolutely everything in your life. It's His. And the first thing is the opportunity to worship God. Okay, Pastor, I'll go with you there. That's the Sunday event to worship God. Is our worship man centered or God centered? In other words, I'll ask you a question why did you come to church today? Did you come to church to get something or to give something? Did you come to get your gas tank filled so that you can make it through the rest of the week? Or did you come to give? Did you come to give worship to God? To praise Him? To glorify Him? To sing His praises? Did you come to give to others sitting in front of you, sitting behind you in way of fellowship and encouragement? We have bought, dear congregation, into the wrong view 
of worship. We so often here as pastors that church members think of church as another club, as another institution to give you something. Whether it be to give you a security and salvation, whether it be to give you an instruction from the Word of God, all important things that should be preached from the Word of God, but that's not the purpose of worship. The purpose of gathering in worship is to glorify and praise God as He calls us to in His Word. It's to give unto God, to ascribe unto Him glory. He owns the Sabbath day. He owns our worship. Is there anything you would rather do than worship the living God? Have you bought into the consumerism of our day when I have a neighbor who I was talking to about COVID and how they just so, so appreciated the fact that they could sit in their kitchen table and worship. That was the way to do it. This is awesome. It's not worship. It's not the gathering together to to ascribe unto God glory. But if your idea of worship is what you can get and how you can be filled, you can be filled with a sermon, you can be filled with the good music that comes over the, the internet. But it's not worship. It's participating, or watching the participation of worship. But it's not worship. And it's a blessing in many situations and for many people. But it's not worship. It may be no wonder. It may be no wonder why we don't take seriously our attendance in church to worship God. Do we need to be challenged and reformed and revived? I ask you to ask yourself that. What about your family? In your marriage? Why did you get married? Or why are you espousing to get married? Is it simply so I can have a helpmate and I'm not going to be lonely in life? That's man-centered. Did you get married so that in your marriage... You can give of yourself as a husband 100% to your wife? That's to God's glory. That you can give 100% of yourself to your husband? 
And as you live a godly marriage, you're a witness of the gospel to the whole world around you. That's to God's glory. Who will you marry then? And how will you know if that's to God's glory? I will marry someone else who loves the Lord as much or more than I do. That's the only way we're going to be able to glorify God together in our life, in our marriage. As you raise your children, how do you view your children? As God's gifts to you, they are of Him. They're through His blessing. And they've been given to you to be rendered back to Him for His glory. To be stewards of them. His stewards. Stewards of His children. To raise them in the fear of the Lord. He didn't call schools to do that. He didn't call your elders to do that in way of catechism instruction. It's, many, it's a great blessing when we can partner with them. I'm not saying that. But He didn't call them to do that. He called you as parents to do that. I wonder how many of you as fathers and mothers know what your children learned in catechism this week. Did you know that this was the very subject matter of my catechism class? And did you know that when the questions come up, as we engage, and we start talking not only about family, but of schooling and work and what it means, as you ask the question and the hands go up, as you ask someone the question and they say, they ask this question, that why, why do you go to school? That the, that the answer is this so I can get a better education for myself. Why do you go to work? So I can earn my paycheck. How do you view your truck or your car? It's mine. Your house. It's mine. Our business. It's mine. Is it? How do we view our work? Are we training our children how to view work and school and the things that God gives us in life? I'm not being critical here of answers I received. I've expected those answers. Because that's what lies in all of our hearts. Every one of them. Mine. Mine. Mine, my glory, my glory, my glory. It's of him. He's the one who gives you the energy to work. He gives you the work itself. And it's through him as he, as he blesses you in that work. And it's to him, to his glory. Is it? Do we confess 
That in life and in death I belong to my faithful Savior Jesus Christ in this life and everything in this life? My worship, my family, my work, my all. It's Christ. You see, we could be very critical about the Roman Catholic Church in the 16th century. Let's not not shine the binoculars back. Let's just put a mirror in front of ourselves. Are we any better? And do we need the same reform in this life? Have you ever thought of all of your life as the most important things that God has given you to be a witness and a blessing to others and to His glory alone? Because when we live such a life, dear congregation, then when difficulties come into our life, you know what? It's not so bad. Because everything that I have is God's. And if He takes it away from me, we can say with Job, He has given to me and He has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He deserves the glory. When we're given a wife and we're taken away, we can say, blessed be the name of the Lord. When we're given a child and it's taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. When we're given finances, financial blessings and are taken away, we can say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Because we're in pursuit, not of my own honor, not of my own glory, but of God's honor and God's glory. He brings me into persecution. And everyone has forsaken me. And everyone is ridiculing me. Then I remember, blessed are those who are persecuted for His name's sake. Because it's to His honor and to His glory. No matter what the cost, we can surrender all to King Jesus in all of our afflictions of life and even to our death. We will still be praising Him by His grace when we learn to live sola Deo Gloria. As Spurgeon wrote, In the afflictions we praise Him, and out of the fires your songs go up, and on our deathbed we extol Him. In dying, we give Him the sweetest notes. He says, let your shouts of victory in the combat with that last great enemy be all for Him. And you have burst the bondage of this mortality and come into the freedom of the immortal spirits. Then, in nobler, sweeter song, you shall sing unto His praise. Be this your constant thought in this life and in death. To God be glory forever. Make that your number one resolution. Make it the capstone of this reformation. Make it, by His grace, the crown of your salvation.
glory to God alone. Amen. Lord, we confess how man-centered we tend to be. Always struggling against the old flesh. We cry out with Paul, O wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from the body of this death, this bondage, and translate me into the glorious liberty of the children of God. I will give thanks that he and many among us can confess thanks be to God for Jesus Christ and his salvation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So grant us a rich measure of your Holy Spirit to live to your honor and to your glory. Lord, in our life, when we analyze our life and we look at every aspect of it, and we, we ask ourselves, Lord, are we living to your glory? Help us to put the shoe on when it fits, to convict us, to drive us from man-centered life and theology and worship to a God-centered life, theology, and worship. Oh God, we need you and your grace. We need your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We need faith to connect us to him, and we need your word, and so guide us by your Spirit. May you receive all the honor and glory today, tomorrow, and forever. Amen.